truthiness. It was 2005's English Word of the Year. Truthiness was coined by the comedian Stephen Colbert on his satirical news program, The Colbert Report. Colbert lampooned right-wing TV pundits with fake conviction and deadpan delivery. Truthiness was added to the Oxford English Dictionary, Collins's, and several other online and print dictionaries. Collins defines truthiness as the quality of being considered to be true because of what the believer wishes or feels, regardless of the facts. And Dictionary.com says more. Truthiness is the quality of seeming to be true according to one's opinion, intuition, or perception, without regard to logic, factual evidence, or the like. Now, truthiness isn't new. Aspiring leaders have prayed and played on human wishes and feelings, intuitions and perception, since time began. 500 years ago, Niccolo Machiavelli wrote, Occasionally, words must serve to veil the facts. But let this happen in such a way that no one become aware of it. Or if it should be noticed, excuses must be at hand to be produced immediately. And this. Our experience has been that those princes who have done great things have considered keeping their word of little account and have known how to beguile men's minds by shrewdness and cunning. Makes us wonder if some of our politicians have copies of Machiavelli's The Prince well-thumbed on their desks. Hitler and Mussolini agreed on this. The more you repeat a lie, each time with greater conviction, the more people will believe it is true. And in 2005, I don't think anyone could have believed that truthiness would replace evidence-based decision-making in politics, in education, and even, alas, at times in law courts. Pilate asked Jesus, what is truth? Jesus doesn't answer, or Pilate doesn't wait for an answer. Pilate's truth comes from Rome. He has a direct line to Caesar's office, and his instructions are simple. Keep order in Palestine by any means necessary. The truth about Pilate is that he's in Palestine not as a punishment, which is the usual reason for appointment to the back end of the empire. Pilate's there because Caesar knows Pilate can get the job done. And that's all the truth Pilate needs to know. He doesn't care about Jesus' truth, and he has no patience with the purveyors of truthiness who are outside shouting, trying to convince Pilate to execute Jesus. Pilate knows the law. And the truth is, Jesus hasn't broken any Roman law. In the end, though, Pilate sees trouble brewing. He gives them what they want. 
He buys some peace. And he doesn't decide who's telling the truth and who isn't. Pilate asked Jesus, what is truth? And how would we answer that question today? Well, many people would say truth is what you believe is true. That's truthiness. Many would say truth is relative. It's different for each person. You have your truth. I have my truth. We may agree on some points and differ on others, but that's the way it is. And some people simply throw up their hands and say, I don't know what is true anymore. Even facts are relative. We've been told that there's such a thing as alternative facts, and any witness that contradicts them is fake news. So there's really no truth, just truthiness. But as far as Jesus is concerned, truth is what God reveals. And Jesus bears witness to truth, and more than that, Jesus is truth, with a capital T. He says, everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Okay, but we still don't know what is this truth and what does it mean to belong to it. Well, there are about as many summaries of the truth that Jesus witnesses to as there are Christians. One scholar boils it down to this, the good news of God's promise of unconditional love for each and for all and God's call to justice for each and for all. The writer to the Hebrews put it this way, we must believe that God exists and rewards those who seek God. In one of his letters, John wrote, God is love. And those who live in love live in God and God lives in them. In John's gospel, as we just heard John Stainer's famous setting of it, God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but may have eternal life. The foundational truth in Deuteronomy, if you look in the Old Testament, is the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Therefore, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And our Presbyterian ancestors thought this was the kernel of truth. Our chief end, our purpose above all purposes in life, is to glorify God and enjoy, live in relationship with God forever. So it seems that knowing at least some of God's truth also means that we know the purpose and direction of life in this world. So however we may try to put God's truth into words, it seems it's about relationship with God. It's about love. And it also seems that living this truth is even more important than putting it into words. But what does it mean to know and belong to the truth? Put it simply, it means putting following Jesus and his words and examples first in life. But throughout history, we know that religious people have done some horrible things because they believe they know the truth. Last month, I was privileged to visit with Christians in Nagaland, 
a state in northeast India, and in that state there are 16 recognized tribes. It's a diverse population united by Christian faith. 170 years ago, the first Western missionaries arrived in Nagaland, Baptists from the United States. They came with the best of intentions to bring the truth to people they believed lived in darkness, to evangelize the savages, and <clears throat> some of the Nagas were headhunters in those days. But within tribal culture already, hospitality, welcoming all strangers who come in peace. That's why they listened to the visitors. These were highly valued in their tribal cultures. Family, community, equality, generosity, the leadership of women in the community, neighbors helping neighbors. These were daily practices. Valuing, honoring heritage, and finding identity and purpose in tribal life. And as one of my friends put it, 170 years ago among my people there was no I, there was only we. The missionaries preached a religion of I, of individual salvation, of becoming Christians one by one, and they taught the tribal leaders that their culture was evil and must be rejected, that the way to live was to adopt a Christian culture, the culture of 19th century American Christians. And the church's culture, worship, and message are still shaped by the missionary's message. So coming to worship means leaving your heritage outside the church door. So it's no surprise that many Naga youth reject the church but they have nothing else to turn to, no other way to discover who they are and where they belong. And all I could say when I learned this was that young indigenous people in Canada have the same problems, even more so. Belonging to the truth doesn't mean we have a monopoly on the truth. It doesn't mean the truth belongs to us. We can find God's truth in the values and the vision and the lives of others when we listen, when we honor the stranger, and when our idea of God is big enough to allow God to reveal truth to us wherever God chooses. So the history of Christian mission is tainted by attempts to impose a narrow, fragmented version of truth on others the belief that we belong to the truth so they don't because they're not like us. Belonging to the truth doesn't mean we have a monopoly on truth. And it doesn't mean we perfectly understand the truth. Christians have believed that people in other places, people of other religions, have no truth among ourselves Churches have justified discord and division by claiming that their understanding of God's truth is better than their brothers and sisters over there. 
Before I went to preach in Jaluki Town Baptist Church, my Naga friend Ben warned me, only half-joking, not to talk about being a Presbyterian. He said the missionaries told the ancestors Baptists were the only Christians, and some people still believe that. And few have ever met a Christian who wasn't a Baptist. I guess next time I'll have to visit the neighboring states of Mizoram and Manipur. They're Presbyterian states, so I'll be able to speak more freely there. But I grew up in a small town where the Presbyterian church still has the most prominent place of all the churches in town, right there on the main street. And on Sunday morning, we could hear the bell from one end of the main street to the other. And so, of course, I grew up believing Presbyterians were superior to others. Now, I had to make room for Catholics. There were too many of them in my extended family, so I had to allow for them. But I grew up sure that we were better than those Uniteds up the street. I know better now. I know that there's no group of Christians in the world that knows more of God's truth and understands it better than any other. Belonging to the truth means humility, openness to others. But it also means knowing who we are and what we bring to the table, to the conversation with other Christians, so they may learn from us as we learn from them. Humility, not certainty. Human beings simply can't know everything or really, really know anything with certainty. There is always more to see than our eyes can capture, always more to be said than our ears can hear, always more for human hands to discover, always new places for human imaginations to explore. And so we have to live by the most, the best, we can see, hear, discover, imagine, and understand of God's truth. And our God is a God of surprises, always beyond prediction or any calculation of probabilities. Belonging to the truth liberates us from the tyranny of certainty, frees us from the delusions of superiority, and opens us up to the truth as others understand it, to the truth that's already in the world, because God is everywhere. What is truth? We may never know for sure. But we ask that question, and we see Jesus. That's enough. Amen. Glory to God.